Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Fantasy Baseball Weekly Podcast, heard every Thursday evening at 9 p.m. EST on Blog Talk Radio as we infect the airwaves with our unique blend of fantasy baseball enlightenment. We're into early July now, which means the international free agent signing period begins today, so we may have some news coming down the pike soon about some signings that could affect your fantasy teams in the future. This week, the Angels got rid of general manager Jerry DePoto because he couldn't play nice with manager Mike Sosha. Mike Montgomery continued to for the Mariners with a second straight shutout, and the young uh, Kansas City Royal fan that gained national attention in the World Series last year lost his battle with cancer at the age of seven. We're going to cover some of these stories and many more over the next 45 to 50 minutes or so, so pull up a beanbag chair and get comfy. I'm Roto Rob, and my guest this week once again is RotoRob.com MLB editor Michael Seth. How are you this evening, Michael? I'm great, Rob. Thanks for having me. How are you? My pleasure. Uh, well, I'm not doing as well as Josh Hamilton, who came off the DL this week and paid immediate dividends with two hits and a run to help a Ranger offense and is finally healthy and rounding into form. So uh, nice to see Hambone feeling good. I want to remind you the chat room the chat room even and phone lines are open uh currently just me in the chat room uh feel free to join me anyone guests if you want to call in old school style you can uh, hit us up at 347-826-7358 now before we get to uh this week's top story we run down what's going on over rudderrub.com every sunday we have the wire troll written by michael this week highlighting carlos beltran who's having a bit of a renaissance lately our outfield rankings are being worked on, which should be released shortly, and soon starting pitchers to wrap up this year's positional rankings. Football. We've started work on the 2015 NFL Draft Kit, so watch for us to start rolling that out soon. The rankings are all done. We're just adding some strategy essays and profiles, and we'll start releasing them over the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Basketball. We are working on a 2015 draft recap, so stay tuned for that. And hockey, again, want to wish out, uh, send best wishes to, for the continued recovery of NHL editor Dakota Case, who has finally had his breathing tube removed and is making progress, we are pleased to report. Uh, on the content side of things, watch for a 2015 NHL draft recap and also free agency recap coming soon. Nothing new to report on video games, but new games being added constantly, so check back soon 
we are now four posts away from 4,125 in the site's history, so should hit that mark over the next few days. Finally, don't forget to check out our Instigator Sports trip in the sidebar of the site. Test your sports knowledge or play against your friends. Have you uh, tried that yet, Michael? Uh, I haven't, but I will have to get on that. Yeah, it's fun. Lots of baseball trivia there, and you can play, go head-to-head against whoever you want or challenge the the site leader, and it's uh, pretty cool. They give you, like, 10 seconds to answer a trivia question with, like, four choices, and, um, yeah, it's good times. Anyhow, the big story tonight is Dallas Keuchel of the Houston Astros, who has, I mean, of course, he broke through last year, but what he's doing this year taken it to a whole new level. Uh, And I mean, at this point, you could easily argue that he is the best pitcher in the American League. What do you think, Michael? He has been pretty darn good, and it's not completely out of nowhere because he actually had an ERA under three last year in 29 starts. But he's really given the Astros and, and fans hope that this team can be for real because at least they have an ace. They may not have the deepest pitching staff, but he's emerging and he's got incredible numbers this year. Just leads the league in wins or run average starts innings, pitched, uh, uh, fewest hits per nine innings. It's, it's pretty impressive. And with some struggles that Felix Hernandez has had uh, and, and Chris sale missing some time with injury. I mean, right now it's hard to argue against that. Yeah, you know, three years ago, he first kind of came on our radar. We recommended him as a waiver wire ad when he first uh, came up uh, that season, anyhow. And he, uh, I mean, he, he sure has wound up becoming unbelievable. I mean, he shut out the Yankees last week, dominated the Royals this week for eight shutout innings. As you mentioned, leads the American League in ERA, 2.03, leads the league in wins with 10, leads the league with two shutouts, leads the league in complete games. I mean, what's his recipe for success, uh, Michael? Well, he's not an overpowering guy by any stretch. Doesn't throw all that hard, but he keeps the ball down in the zone, uh, as evidenced by only giving up seven home runs this year in a very small ballpark. And I think, you know, being a left-hander, I don't want to say that that's an advantage if you have the same stuff as a right-hander, but, you know, when you're facing teams that have lefty-heavy lineups, it gives you an advantage. And he's been very durable. As I said, he leads the league in innings pitched. Uh, so just his ability to stay consistent throughout a game. I mean, I think there's an art in that that not every starter has. Some starters can be great for four or five innings, but have one inning where they really implode. And Keuchel's kind of able to temper that throughout a game, and and that's why he's been successful for uh, you know over a, a large number of innings. Yeah, you mentioned keeping the ball down. That's a real key there, and he really uses both sides of the plates well. He gets batters you know, to expect a way and then pounds him inside, changes speed, keeps him off balance. Not really a traditional ace. Like, you know, when you think of ace, you think of the dominant guy who's going to blow you away, get the 12, 13 strikeout kind of performance. You're not going to see that kind of thing out of Keiko, but there's no doubt he definitely deserves to be an all-star this year. Um, if he's not on that team, there's something absolutely wrong. Uh, What's really impressed me, Michael, about uh, Keuchel is his ability to bounce back. Like, for instance, June 20th, he was shelled in Seattle, worst start of the year. He was coming up a couple of so-so starts. Like, they were still quality starts. They were just so-so for him. You had to wonder if Cinderella's ball was over, perhaps. And what does he do since then? Two starts, 17 shutout innings, 13 hits, 19 strikeouts, one walk. I mean, wow. 
that is a sign of a great pitcher. A guy, you know, who will shake off a bad start and then just, you know, or, or like a little somewhat of a slump, but never get into an extended slump. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, and that's why he's, yeah, that, that's what's really helped him this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that he did have that breakout last year. It was a career year, in fact, but he's even been better this season. He's only two wins behind his total from all of last year, and he, the thing that's impressed me is he's getting through the innings quicker, which allows him to, you know, work so long. I mean, we talked about whether he's the best pitcher in the American League at this point. I mean, obviously, Felix is in the discussion as a sale, as you mentioned, but this this guy here, Keiko, was pitcher of the month for the American League in both April and May. Uh, June wasn't quite as good, but I mean, still, that's pretty impressive. Um, but I think the most impressive thing is that consistency. Like, the guy is a workhorse, and he's not, like, necessarily built like a workhorse, except for that great beard. But he's got only six innings in each of his last 28 starts. 28 starts in a row going at least six innings. That is the best run in the entire major leagues. And this is the kind of guy who saves your bullpen because you know every five days, no matter what, well, for instance, every time he takes the mound, you're never going to have one of those meltdowns where your bullpen's got to pick you up for like six or seven innings. Never going to happen. But, I mean, he saves the bullpen, and that is huge, right? You know, when you're trying to make the playoffs. Well, especially for a team that doesn't have any other guy that is anywhere near that consistent. And last year, he did lead the league with five complete games for a really bad team and still went 12-9 and through 200 innings even on the mark. So, yeah, that that's very valuable, and I think that's why the Astros, it, you know, whether they make a big splash or not, I think they're going to go and try and assess their starting rotation, but they feel pretty good as Keuchel being their ace, even if, as you said, he doesn't profile as a true ace, but he gives you everything mm-hmm. that you'd want out of a number one starter in terms of durability, consistency, and, and keeping the ball in the ballpark. Yeah, and you got to love the control. I mean, last year was even better, 2.16 walks per nine. This year it's up slightly, 2.24. But 2.72 walks per nine throughout his four-year career. So even before he started having success in the last couple of years, he was always very good about being around the zone. And, um, yeah, not your usual ace and overpower hitters. We get that. But it's all about putting the ball on the ground. He's improved his ground ball rate each year and he uses his defense. He simply gets hitters to hit weak grounders over and over again. And I mean, that works. That's a recipe for success. You know, like you don't have to blow hitters away and get through innings quicker. Allows you to pitch deeper into games, which allows, gives you more of a chance to earn wins, right? Cause there's less. You blow it. If they don't have to pitch as many innings, um, you know, when you get to your eighth inning and ninth inning guys and hand it over to them and there's you're assuring yourself of more wins. So you know, I mean, obviously he is a more valuable pitcher in the real world than he is in fantasy just simply because he averages less than seven Ks per nine and unless you're playing four by four ball, uh, which, you know, is pretty rare these days, that is a factor. But um, I don't know. What do you think? Is this guy going to win the Cy Young this year? Uh, that's the big question. Well, I think if the award were given out right now, yeah, he would. He deserves it, and he's been as valuable as any pitcher, not to mention as good as any pitcher. But when you look at the run that Chris Sale's had, a historic, what, eight, 
straight starts with at least 10 Ks and you figure Felix Hernandez will be right there. And, and it, it's, he's got a good shot. It's just will, you know, and it also may depend on what happens to the Astros the rest of the way. I think his, his mm-hmm. value as the ace of that staff will be seen as is a lot greater than obviously if he's on a team that loses 85 games. So I like his chances right now, but we still got half a season to go, and we've seen pitchers miss time with injuries, and it, it figures to be a tight race. So he's going to have to continue to pretty much pitch at this level, I think. Yeah, I mean, that, there's no doubt the Astros have leveled off over the last few weeks after their amazing start, but uh, and that could be a factor in the second half. We shall see. I mean, no longer the the American League's best team; uh, they've been usurped by the Royals over the last uh, couple of weeks, but. Uh, you know, he gets to that 20 wins, um, and he maintains the area around two. It is going to be hard to top, that's for sure. Now, uh, we're yeah. going to review some review some action around the bigs this afternoon. Plenty of baseball going on on Thursday afternoon, as always. I was keeping my eye on San Francisco-Miami game, and this was a fascinating game because not only did we have the return of Jose Fernandez from Tommy John's surgery for the Marlins, but Matt Cain was making his season debut coming off both surgery himself for San Francisco. So he had of the best pitchers in the National League who have been out all season and longer in in most cases. Fernandez since May of last year, Cain since July. And they were pitching today, going head to head. Now, obviously some rush showed on both sides, but the Marlins wound up taking this game five four. Um as I said, Fernandez making his first start since May 9th of last year in the wake of Tommy John surgery, shook off a shaky opening inning and wound up hitting a homer the second of his career to help his team win and complete a three-game sweep. The Marlins were really struggling before this series, but they've been keeping pace. It's only four games back of the third-place Braves, and they're seven up on the woeful uh, fifth-place Phillies. For the Giants, this series really hurt them. They're now three back of the first-place Dodgers, and even the fifth-place Rockies are only seven back, so they're hardly in a secure spot, the Giants, I mean. Uh, in fact, it's the first time the Marlins have swept the Giants at home in a series of at least three games since 1999, so footage this week. Um, as I mentioned, July, elbow surgery. Fernandez went up going six innings, giving up seven hits and three runs. Not a bad start, right? But believe it or not, that's the most hits and earned runs he's given up in 21 career home starts. Just think about that. How good has this kid been right from the get-go of his career? He is now getting the win today. He's now 13-0 and at home in his career, which ties the modern record for most consecutive wins without a loss at home to start his career. Major bonus points if you know whose record he tied there, Michael. Uh, oh, that's... That's a tough one. I, I, I'm, will I be surprised by the answer, or is it somebody obvious? Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you a hint. It's a team that doesn't exist anymore. Well, it's a team that moved. And that guy has the same name as a, fav, as a famous as a character from the show 24. Uh, well, I only know Jack Bauer from that show. Is, that, is there a pitcher named Jack Bauer? Uh, no, there isn't. I mean, there have been some Bowers, Hank Bauer, for instance, but it was uh, uh, it in Palmer. Uh, or, uh, you know, Dennis. No, David Palmer. He has the same name, David Palmer. Like the the, the sh- on the TV show, he played the president. Right, uh, right. And then Montreal, the Montreal Expos had a pitcher, David Palmer, who between '79 and '84 did not 
lose at home. He was also 13-0 to start his career. So, obviously not known for anything else other than that, but an impressive run for his career. It's just one of those obscure things where he, for whatever reason, never lost at home early on in his career. And Jose Fernandez, who I'm sure will go on to be recognized for feats greater than that. Well, I mean, he already has been. Like, he was already a rookie of the year, so there you go. So, anyhow, for the Giants today, Gregor Blanco had the big stick. He was two for four with two of the runs, an RBI, struck out once, got a homer for his 16th rib of the year. Did commit an error, but got his own base percentage up to 384. He's hit safely in nine straight games, raising his batting average 44 points in the process. He's been making more starts, and small wonder with that on-base percentage. Hitting very well in a part-time role, I think he deserves more playing time, to be honest, and is worth a look in NL-only leagues based on what he is doing, I think. Kane suffered the loss in five innings. He was ripped for seven hits, five runs. He struck out two. He walked four, gave up two homers, threw 89 pitches, 51 of them strikes. His ERA sits at nine. Uh, Obviously, rusty his first time out, but sounded like he was impressed, felt good. He was healthy, and that's the key. There's actually a chance he is still unowned in your league, so you better snatch him up as he could be a fine asset in the second half. For the fish, it was Justin Bohr. He did it again. He had a walk-off dinger on Wednesday. Today, one for three with a three-run homer. Also drew a walk. That's his ninth homer there. He's up to 20 RBI. His on-base percentage is up to 340. He's now slugging 496. Hit safely now in four straight games, homering in each of the last three. I think he needs to be given a look in NL-only leagues. I'm loving the extra base pop and productivity lately. So Fernandez got the double, and that's six Ks, no walks, 89 21 balls, his ERA is 4.50. Zero walks and 21 balls out of uh, 89 pitches. Impressive command for a guy. I mean, you definitely expect some lack of command after Tommy John's surgery. And for him to not walk anyone says a lot. He reached 99 miles an hour in the gun, so he can still bring the heat. And he could really help stabilize the Marlins in the second half. Uh, over in the American League, Indians playing uh, the Rays today, Michael. What went, went down in uh, Tampa Bay? Yeah, the uh, right, the other side of Florida. And I just want to point out, that's pretty impressive. Not only you come back from Tommy John surgery to pitch well, but hit a home run as well, making impact with the bat. Not going to make uh, anyone forget about Giancarlo Stanton, but it doesn't hurt to get well, some production from the handhole like that. Fernandez is not a bad hitter. He's, an, he's over 200 for his career, and that's pretty good for a pitcher. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, speaking of uh, pitchers coming back from Tommy John surgery, uh, in the same state we had Matt Moore making his long-awaited return. And remember we talked just now about Dallas Keuchel and how he's able to kind of pace himself throughout a game. Well, in Matt Moore's first start back, didn't really pace himself very well. He was locked down for three innings, looked great, but ran into trouble in the fourth and fifth innings. And the Indians... Uh, ultimately won this game 5-4 to four on a Mike Avila's home run in the top of the 10th. Of course, the big story, Matt Moore, and uh, while he was great through three shutout innings, his final line, not as impressive, and of course it is his first start in over a year. Four earned runs uh, in four and two-thirds, gave up six hits, walked two, struck out four, and I seem to remember there was a time when this guy came up and he was throwing high 90s, and he's barely 91-92 now, and maybe they'll build that arm strength up back a little bit, uh, but on the other side, there was a former Cy Young who was wheeling and dealing. Corey Kluber 
14 strikeouts, and he has been on an absolute roll. Remember, he had an 18-strikeout game against St. Louis uh, a couple of months ago. He went eight innings and gave up four runs, three earned, seven hits, one walk, 14 strikeouts, but ultimately it was Avilas deciding this game in the top of the 10th on the first pitch he saw from Xavier Cedeno. Avilas, who's uh, dealing with a tough personal situation, as, uh, as people know, uh, came through with a big hit, actually scored a couple of runs on the day. It was his fourth homer of the year. This after the teams went back and forth. Tampa Bay uh, had a 2 to nothing lead, uh, but then in the fourth and fifth innings, the Indians got four runs uh, in, in those two frames. Tampa Bay got two back in the sixth to tie it, and then neither team scored until Avilas broke through in the tenth. But really, this was a, a great game to watch uh, if you want to see Corey Kluber look like the Corey Kluber of 2014 because he's starting to to find it even though he doesn't have the wins and losses to show for it. He uh, really pitched outstanding today, although the win ended up going to Brian Shaw in relief his first of the year, a perfect inning and two strikeouts, and then Cody Allen striking out the side for his 15th save. So Cleveland bullpen coming in, doing the job after Kluber left. And even though Tampa Bay's bullpen only gave up the one run, turned out to be a costly one. And for Tampa Bay, uh, it has to be a little concerning how poorly this team has played at home this year. They just finished a homestand in which they went 2-8. and eight. They had played in Cleveland before that, uh, won two out of three in Cleveland. But they are really, really scuffling at home. So perhaps this is a time to, uh, to get out on the road as they will be playing the Yankees coming up here. And uh, it's got to be a little puzzling, wouldn't you think, Rob, when a team can't win at home but is actually pretty good on the road? Because uh, at Tampa Bay, it just they can't get it done at the Trop. It's weird, yeah. I mean, and Tampa Bay historically has, has generally been very good at Trop. And if you can't take, business, take care of business at home, you're in trouble. That's it. You know, I mean, I don't care how good you're on the road. You have to be able – it's all about home cooking. you got to be able to win – at least 55% of your games at home to have any hope at all. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked we talked about that earlier uh, last week with uh, Cleveland and how they struggled at home against Detroit. Tampa Bay is 21 and 27 at home, and they're 21 and 12 on the road. I'm not sure what's more shocking: wow. records disparity or the fact that they've actually played 15 more home games than they have on the road. But that apparently isn't a problem for them, considering how much better they are away from the. Uh, the old Thunderdome. Well, both records are shocking. Twenty-one and twelve on the road is phenomenal, and twenty-one and twenty-seven at home for a team that is as good as Tampa Bay is shocking as well. Um, so you were talking about the Indians. Uh, I was keeping an eye on their AL Central rival, Detroit, today. They were playing some interleague ball against the Pirates, hoping to salvage one of the three-game series uh, at home against the Pirates, who are playing much better lately, but it was not to be. Francisco Liriano was fantastic today, and the Pirates completed their three-game sweep. They're playing much better lately. Uh, Although the Cards continue to play amazingly well, so Pittsburgh hasn't been able to really make a dent in that lead, but they have moved now 2.5 games ahead of the third-place Cubs, so they're starting to put a little bit of distance there um, in terms of trying to turn this into a two-team race in the NL Central. Detroit, meanwhile, spins lately. You are still only two games back in place. The fifth-place White Sox are only four back of the third-place Tigers. So Detroit needs to kind of look below them as well. Uh, the American League Central is a tight division, really tight. 
Liriano tossed a gem against the Tigers way back early in the 2010 season, but since then it has been a shit show whenever he faces them. They've owned him. 14 games, 11 of them starts. He's gotten one and nine. Finally earned, exacted some some vengeance today. Detroit didn't even get a runner past second base against him, scoring all of its runs late against the bullpen. For the Pirates, Neil Walker, second straight four-hit game. What a series he had. He went 10 for 17 with seven RBI to raise his batting average 19 points in three games. It is pretty hard for a regular to raise his batting average 19 points in late June, early July. So, wow. That is one impressive run. The Pirates wound up outscoring Detroit in the series 22-11, to convincing sweep. In fact, today they scored one run in every inning from the 4th to the 7th and then were spot in the ninth to uh, provide the uh, difference in the game. Uh, as I said, Walker, the big stick today, 4 for 5, 3 RBI. 20th double of the year. He's up to 30 RBI now. He's on base percentage up to 346, and he's slugging 421. He'd actually been in a major slump, especially power and productivity-wise, before this run. But now he's on a six-game hitting streak, and he could be available in your league, so take a look at your wire. That's six straight years with at least 20 doubles for Walker, and he's on pace to top 40 for the first time ever. Liriano lasted seven innings, gave up five hits, no runs, struck out five, walked three, threw 104 pitches, 61 of them for strikes, Got the W to improve to 5-6 and six and lower his ERA to 2.99. He's usually good for about one stinker per month, but has looked great in his last two outings. And check out his batting average against a career-best 190, thanks to just 70 hits allowed in 102 third and one, 102 one third innings this year. Very impressive uh, hit ratio there for Liriano. Mark Melanson got the uh, at the only battery face for his 25th save, has trimmed his ERA to a very tidy 1.66. So much for worries about his velocity that were uh, being talked was being talked about earlier this year. He has not given up an earned run since May 11th. Uh, Melanson's been a bit easier to hit this year, but has now put together back-to-back 25 save seasons as he's become a very dependable closing option. Um, over to the NL Central, excuse me. Um, back to the NL only, we had the Cubs and Mets going on at City Field uh, this afternoon there, Michael. Keep an eye on that one, and Michael's got the lowdown. Yeah, and by the way, t- speaking of teams that have uh, struggled at home, the Tigers, another one of those sub-500 at Comerica Park. They're going to have to get that uh, straightened out. And then uh, in the in Shea, at, excuse me, Shea, at City Field, we had another team that was unable to, uh, in this series to take advantage of playing at home. The Mets, who coming into this series were 29-11 and 11 at City Field, ended up getting swept by the Chicago Cubs. They lost this game today 6-1, to one, but the more alarming stat is that in three games at home against the, the Cubbies, the Mets scored a grand total of one run. And this was after the uplifting performance on Sunday by Steven Matz in his Major League debut. Mind you, Matz drove in four runs in his Major League debut, the Mets collectively as an offense since scored one run. And if you're wondering, that was actually the pitcher, Jacob DeGrom, who scored the run on a Curtis Granderson uh, a double in this game. But really, the story today was Jake Arietta, And, you know, the Cubs, uh, they're just playing in the wrong division. But at 42 and 35, coming off a sweep, they're currently in a wild card spot. 
The Mets, on the other hand, have really been scuffling, had a long losing streak, then won a few, and, and now they've kind of fallen off again as the Nats are really taking off in the East. Jake Arrieta today was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, got his eighth one of the year, went eight strong innings, allowed just one run on five hits, and here's a good command for you. No walks, seven strikeouts, lowered his ERA to 2.8. He did hit a batter, but uh, very, very sharp. Travis Wood uh, finished the game with a scoreless inning. And for the Mets, Jacob deGrom did not pitch like the Jacob deGrom we're used to seeing. He uh, got the loss despite going five and a third, gave up four runs, three earned on seven hits, walked two, struck out two. Uh, his ERA rises to 2.3. And you know you're having a pretty good year when your ERA can rise to 2.3. Uh, but he falls to eight and six. Again, the only offense for the Mets coming in this game uh, was or, uh, was a third inning RBI double by Curtis Granderson. But it was the Cubs doing a lot of the offensive damage. They hit two home runs in this game, including the first of the season for Jonathan Herrera, who got the start today at third base. It was his first of the year. It was a two-run shot. And uh, Miguel Montero uh, adding some insurance in the ninth with a two-run shot, his tenth of the year. And he's driven in 28 runs. Anthony Rizzo. Also driving in a run, he's got 45. And really, this was just another game where the Mets were were just plagued by lack of offense. It's got to be very, very uh, concerning for them, considering the starting pitching has been pulling its weight. The bullpen continues to struggle. But when the offense scores one run in three games, it uh, doesn't matter who you play, you're not going to win. So that was what the Cubs did. They complete the sweep coming off of a tough sweep uh, that they suffered in St. Louis as Jake Arrieta outdueling Jacob DeGrom. And uh, that was the day action that we were keeping our eye on. All right. It's interesting you talk about the Mets because I was actually going to bring them up in the, in uh, shortly. But uh, first I want to talk about um, Rick Porcello's struggles for Boston. Uh, mm-hmm. There's now talk about him skipping his spot in the rotation. Boston may skip his spot until after the break to give him some downtime. For the last five weeks, he's simply been dreadful, and he, he's hit, he hit rock bottom against the Jays on Wednesday. He gave seven hits, seven runs, three homers in two innings. In 16 starts this year, he's now been tagged for 16 homers. He's just struggling to execute his pitches. His ERA is now over six, second highest in the majors, clinging to his rotation spot, barely, I mean, especially the way Brian Johnson is looking at AAA right now. Porcello's rate is actually up this year quite a bit, but killing him his ground ball rate keeps falling but uh, i mean I, I think he's been better than his bottom line results suggest i look at his fip it's 4.61 still not very good but his x fip is 4.02 which is acceptable I, I think if he can get a hold of the gopheritis and get back to inducing ground balls the results will improve dramatically but something needs to change here because the Sox can't keep trotting him out there every five days and continue to entertain the notions of getting back into the postseason race. Uh, what do you think of the what's going on with Porcello in Boston, the struggles there, and if something needs to be done? Well, I've wondered about, you know, the pitcher changing teams. And, you know, the thing with Rick Porcello is he's never really been an ace. He's never had to be. He's always been on a, no. you know, a really good pitching staff, obviously, in Detroit. Um and it's interesting that now he's really being called on to, to be a big part of this Boston rotation. I mean, they were thrilled that they were able to pick him up uh, in a deal, even though they gave up Ioannis Cespedes. And my first reaction was that it's got to be Fenway Park, maybe it's Spencer. But when you look at his splits, 
He's been much worse on the road. He's one and five with a 7.16 ERA on the road, which makes being three and four with a 4.93 ERA not no, not look nearly as bad at home. Uh, I, I agree that maybe he's had a little bit of bad luck. It's been that kind of year for the Red Sox. They've been involved in a lot of slugfest type games, and that can certainly wear on a pitcher. Uh, and, and also, you got to remember the team that fired their pitching coach. That that's you know you don't think of that as necessarily a big thing, but when a pitcher's got to continue to make adjustments or feel like he's hearing different voices, uh, that could obviously impact him a little bit too. But I, I think it's probably a good idea give him a little bit of a breather because he's really been roughed up. When his starts have been bad, mm-hmm. they have been really bad, not just, you know, hey, five runs and five innings. We're talking straight up, you know, he's getting shelled out there. So this may not be a bad thing. Uh, clearly, he's a guy that's been successful in the past. He's got good stuff. It's probably been partially a product of not being able to get a sinker down when you're a sinker baller who's not getting – a lot, a ton of ground balls. It's, it's obviously going to be tough for you. So I'm not surprised at all yeah. the move the way it's going for Boston, and and uh, that that's probably just a move John Farrell feels that he can't be any worse. We might as well give him a little time to recuperate here. Well, I mean, it's really very simple. If you're a ground ball pitcher and you're not getting ground balls, you're going to get beat up. And if you're a ground ball pitcher and you're inducing ground balls, it really doesn't matter where what park you're pitching at, right? Like you're going to you're going to have pretty um, – your splits are going to be pretty standardized there. Uh, but clearly something needs to to give there. Um, did you have any other news items you wanted to bring up uh, tonight there, well, Michael? I had a couple well, things in the bag. It's funny. We, we were talking about the NL Central before, and, and here's what I want to know from you. If, if it seems clear that the Cardinals are the obvious best team in the National League and probably in baseball, uh, who's the second best team? And, and I wonder if that second best team is residing – in the Cardinals division, because I, to be honest, Rob, I'm not completely sold on the Nats and the Dodgers because they, they're carrying what I like to call playoff baggage. And that can be something that's very difficult to shed. And I, you know, even if I don't, like the Pirates, granted, they haven't won in the playoffs, but yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I absolutely believe in this. I can't remember if it was you on the podcast or someone else, but we talked about it on the podcast. I don't think it was last week. It might have been a, a few weeks ago, but we were talking about the Pirates and the Cardinals' big lead, and I said, don't count the Pirates out. Because of that pitching stuff, they're going to win a shitload of games. It's just when you trot out someone who's going to be able to get you into the sixth or seventh inning almost every single day, that's just, you know, the, the, if they get just enough hitting and they have a solid bullpen, Melanson's been great, you know, like get, get some decent middle relief, they're going to be there. They're absolutely going to be there. That Pirate pitching rotation, top to bottom, it's phenomenal. So, yeah, I'm so well, on fire. Well, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I look at the Dodgers and, and they've got the star power. And I look at the Nats and those, those teams, and like the Tigers too, I look at those teams as they've got a lot of star players, but as a full team, it's a little bit different. And as you said, the Pirates have a rotation that continues to give them inning and that, innings, and that's important because I don't think their actual middle relief is – all that reliable. But when you look at the back end of their bullpen with Watson and Melanson, the only thing I worry about is overuse with those guys. They play so many tight games. Uh, I believe they, they played, uh, or I thought I saw the stat that Melanson is, is maybe has the most appearances among closers. I know he was leading the league in saves, but they, they've really relied heavily on those guys and they've done a good job. And you look at the other teams too. It's not just, okay, well, they've got issues as far as depth, but, the Dodgers have consistently gotten beaten by the Cardinals in the playoffs. The Nationals, it's going to be hard for them to shake 
what's happened in their last two, uh, their only two playoff appearances. So, you know, with the Pirates, it's almost like they can't win the division. I don't see them pushing St. Louis with the kind of year St. Louis is having. But if there's any team that might give them a series, I feel the Pirates might be the one team. Yeah, it's quite conceivable. It is quite conceivable. When you have that kind of pitching, I mean, great pitching can shut down great hitting. It's that simple. So we shall see how that plays. That's going to be fun to watch. Uh, the National League have, uh, come playoff time, I mean, obviously, who makes the playoffs and how it's going to shake San Francisco finally bust their odd year thing, you know, their even odd year thing. Um, speaking of San Francisco, uh, another little tidbit I want to bring up is Santiago Casilla, who was rocked Wednesday, and now it's been announced he's going to get a few days off, according to manager Bruce Bochy. He gave three hits and three runs on the walk-off homer that I talked about, the Justin Bohr shot. Without recording an out, just suffered the loss, his fourth-blown save in 24 tries. But, I mean, I don't know. Was this like a quick trigger there, Michael? This was the first time Casilla blew a save or was even scored on. Since May 31st, so it's not like he's been struggling. So the Giants are reacting really quickly here, and that makes me wonder, is there some kind of health concern? They they talked about arm fatigue. But, well, you know, I mean, well, I, get, yeah. I get when a closer has a couple bad outings in a row that's like, okay, you know what, you need a couple, you need a little downtime. But the guy hadn't been scored on since May 31st, and he put up a shitty effort, okay? It happens, right? Well, yeah, I have two schools of thought on that. Because, one, you're talking to a guy that wrote an article about a month ago that said Santiago Casilla was probably the most underrated closer in the game. But the, the Giants kind of had this pattern of flip-flopping with the closers a little bit because, remember, a couple of years ago in 2012, Brian Wilson underwent Tommy John, and it was Casilla initially. And then he struggled, and then they went to Romo, and, of course, Romo was the guy that they rode throughout the postseason. Then in 2014, a year ago, Romo was the guy, and he ran into a string, a much longer string, not just one bad outing. He had a number of really rough-blown saves. And then Casilla took over, and Casilla became the guy, again, as he was supposed to be two years ago, and they really rode him as their closer to the postseason. So I, I'm not sure why they would have such a quick trigger. You're right, it could be a health concern. It could be a concern that Bruce Bochy seeing something stuff-wise, mechanically, that's not right. That's always the first thing I think of, uh, or at least after injury, I mean, because that's the obvious one. But yeah, clearly to to say say we're going to arrest the guy who just blew his first save in a couple of months, gave up runs for the first time in a couple of months, seems a bit of a reaction. So my hunch would be it's either an injury or some sort of mechanical issue that Bruce Bochy sees that, that yeah. he wants to tweak before he sends him back out there. I think there's more than meets the eye. And, of course, in the interim, as you mentioned, Romo and possibly Javier Lopez could be in line for save, some saves over the weekend. So, uh Consider those as options uh, in a daily fantasy league. At any rate, um, you know it's it's funny that you talked about the Mets struggling uh, offensively because that was one of the tidbits that caught my eye this week. You mentioned the one run in the three game series against the Cubs, which is just ridiculous, especially at home. But it, it dates back further than that, Michael. The last fourteen games, they only have twenty three runs, and through eighty games, we're almost halfway through the season now. How many times do you think they've scored one run or less through uh, 80 well, games? They, yeah, 80 games. I, I think I saw this stat. Uh, I want to say it's got to be 20. but I, 21, I, I, yeah. I 21, 21, oh, yeah. 21 times over a quarter of the time they're scoring one run or less. <coughs> and, yeah, 
but it's a team of aces now, so much so that they can't figure out who to trade or and they've got so many freaking starters to, you know, on that team and great young talent, uh, you know, with Matt's emerging now. And it's like, I don't care if you have five Sandy Koufaxes when you're only scoring one run a game that often, you're not going to be winning. Uh, you know, I, I, I jotted down some notes here and like in terms of the main culprits, Eric Campbell has a 540 OPS and trying to replace David Wright. Okay. That's problem. Number one, the biggest problem. Right. Ruben Tejada's walking walking less and striking out more. That's hurting. Rookie Kevin Ploiecki, who I love, is upside. He's showing a bit of extra base pop, but he's no Travis Darno at this stage of his career. Wilmer Flores, a ready lame walk, is down even more. Michael Goddire, who I don't know why they spent all that money on him, be slugging 365. Really? I mean, 365? And for whatever reason, Luca. Duda, his homers have become doubles this year. Uh, those are the main culprits I'm looking at. But I'm, anything I'm missing here, like in terms of what with its offense, they need to they need to fire their hitting coach or what? Well, I just my first thought is just how much do they miss David Wright? Although not that David Wright is the you know uh, you know answer to all their problems offensively if they ever get him back. But, yeah, I was puzzled with the Kadire deal. I never quite understood that. I mean, he was a guy that was consistent in Minnesota, but played at Coors Field. You know, it, it, I, I never got that. I never saw him as any kind of an answer. Curtis Granderson went through a little bit of a surge, power surge with home runs. He's up to 13 to lead the club. They've got, you know, Wilmer Flores is 10 homers, but he's hitting 232. It, it, there's there's not one guy that can carry them. I mean, even no, Grand- even with some of the Granderson's actually, Granderson's actually having a decent year. I, I I I I'm not singling him out, but you know there are others I expect that are just. I mean, they should not be in a major league lineup. I don't think you know. Well, yeah, yeah. You mentioned Eric Campbell, and and you know that's what separates the really good teams from the middle of the pack or also ran teams is when you have a guy go down, you need somebody that can be an adequate replacement. And Eric Campbell's batting 171 with two homers. Uh, the sad thing is he's actually tied for the lead uh, on the team in stolen bases with five, but he's really, as you said, brought no value slugging what 264. Uh, that that's incredibly low uh, for, you know, anybody, let alone a guy that's well, replacing your, your face of the franchise. Yeah. You know, the, the, the there's, there's and, not a lot of power, but there's just not a lot of guys that are, they don't have that, chemistry this isn't a lineup well you know, whatever they're doing is not working and i realize you kind of gave campbell a backhanded compliment there with the five stolen bases but you know that is a problem because if you don't have power you better be manufacturing runs and stealing bases right you better be moving runners over and trying to steal right. and i mean and obviously you need the personnel in place to do that but five steals as your leader in halfway through the year almost well, 80 games, right? We're halfway through the season. Tomorrow yeah. marks game yeah. 81. So it's like, you not even get a double-digit steal guy. And you're playing well, in a yeah. park that does not sell power. So what kind of lineup are you trying to create here? Well, yeah, and and, and like, also I think a big problem we're kind of, uh, we're kind of overlooking is, is they really don't have any kind of a bench either. And I guess that goes hand-in-hand hand with a team that's not scoring runs, but they're counting on guys like John Mayberry, 
who's sticking around in the majors despite hitting 190 with three homers. He's he's really lost at the plate. Guys like Darren Siciliani, I mean, you know, maybe there's hope for him in the future. 237. There's not. Not only is there not depth, obviously they they're not getting the production from their starters, but they don't have anybody that even can get plugged in and and maybe give them a little spark just to just to liven things up. And, and so you're well, right. There's, it's I mean. Just, Kind of yeah, because the fact of the matter is guys like Ruben Tejada and Wilmer Flores should be their bench players. They should be the guys coming off the bench. And at this stage of his career, Michael Kadir's a hop, skip, and jump from being a bench player. I know he had those two amazing years in Colorado, although he was hurt a lot. PSs were, like, unbelievably phenomenal. The Mets bought in and gave the con. It's like, duh, did you look at his home road splits? I mean, his home road splits were like 400 points in OPS lower on the road. Duh! It's like, could you? How do you? Not, how could you not have seen this coming? Kadir had the most Coors inflated numbers of of all time the last couple of years. Ah, uh, in the in this stage and age of of analytics that are available to us, and I'm sure it's a just a smidgen of what's available to a major league team you know, in terms of the data set that you have and, and the numbers and uh, the proper training to analyze those numbers, ostensibly, and you still go and sign Kadir for a multi-year deal at his age, but whatever. You know what? That's why I just play a GM on TV. I'm not a real GM. Right. Um, so we are talking about the Cardinals before being the best team in baseball, but they're not without their controversy, Michael. I mean, of course, you heard about the hacking episode and the FBI investigation. Well, today... The uh, first casualty from that hacking scandal and the and the Cardinals fired their scouting director Chris Correa. They say it's not connected, but I mean, of course it's connected. Uh, and the FBI is currently investigating whether the Cards gained illegal access to Houston's player personal database. I think there could be more fallout to come from this. It's very cloak and dagger, and uh, wow, I mean. This is a really the Cardinals are always have this reputation as being you know the model franchise and everything, but clearly even the model franchise can have some uh, strange back you know and dagger dealings and you know some shady characters, right? Like, have you been following this story at all? Yeah, a little. The more it's weird, eh? Watch them; they remind me of the New England Patriots. Oh, like uh, Deflategate. Uh, yeah, I guess it's it's kind of weird. I, I'm really interested to see how this shakes out. It's just, it's a very, I um, you know what I mean. It's it's got that like cyber terrorism component to it, and uh, it's kind of neat. I, I just I think Korea is just the beginning, though. I think there could be more. Uh, down the road here. You um, yeah. had any other news stories? Yeah, I mean, that... yeah. Well, no, just to follow up, I mean, I haven't seen a team with this dominant a start either, and, and I think it sort of fuels – the Cardinals are not – they never seem like public enemy number one because I think the media always hypes up the Yankees and the Red Sox. Even the Dodgers and the Giants, sure. they're, they're kind of this this team, you know, yeah, they, they the self-proclaimed greatest fans in baseball, but – this team has had an unbelievable run of success here of late, especially. Oh, yeah. And you think about the way that they uh, almost divine how they won that 2011 World Series coming from ten and a half games back and then 
being down to their last strike on two different occasions and, and pulling that out. And I think it's sort of that people are starting to take more notice of them. They're becoming a little more uh, of an enemy in the eyes of a lot of people, not just Cubs and Pirates fans and whatnot. So th- this story, I, I think it's interesting timing with them having the kind of incredible year that they're having. Um, yeah, this this kind of brings them into a different public light. I don't know that they're in the same class as, say, the Patriots in Deflategate, but it's a big deal. And when you have the FBI investigating, this isn't just, you know, Roger Goodell uh, hearing, you know, listening to a hearing. Right. It's, it, this, this is big stuff. So really a big yes. story. It is. I, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see, uh, you know, what how it ultimately shakes out and just how nefarious the Cardinals' activities ultimately were. Uh, any other news stories you were following uh, this week that you wanted to bring uh, to the table there, uh, Michael? No, I just uh, th- I think it's interesting as we're getting here uh, towards the end of the first half and the All-Star game, and we'll have to talk about this when it gets a little closer, although it is pretty close, but I, I'm just not a fan of the home field advantage being decided oh. in an exhibition game featuring a bunch of so, mid-season All-Stars. So, yeah. yeah. Don't get it's me started. Really, yeah. It's long, it's long been a pet peeve of well, just one of the uh, I Mars process let's make the All-Star game count but to give such significance to an All-Star game, yeah, whatever my head will explode so let, let's move on um, I'm going to have to get some I'm going to have to get some theme music for, for the next uh, portion of our show where you put your pin pad on and uh, plug something away so uh Go ahead and put your furry hat on with your feather in it, and uh, and pimp away. What's what's going on in the world of Michael Seff that you want everyone to know about? Well, I just uh, wanted to just keep pushing everybody over to DraftAmerica.com, and I'm also writing for uh, MLB Outside Pitch, so just trying to keep up. And I, I was going to bring this up, but we since we sort of covered all the news, that, but I, I have an article on the Blue Jays being one of the most statistically fascinating teams that we've ever seen, at least through half the season with an incredible run differential, an incredible offense, and yet they are mired in fourth place, albeit only by a game. And uh, this has just been so fascinating to watch a team that can be this exciting and yet not be really that good at its core. Well, it's pretty simple. They lead the majors in blown saves, right? you got to be able to finish games out. And you know what really makes me laugh is that Pat Nishak, Luke, they were, they were kicking the tires on Pat Nishak. They were kicking the tires on Luke Gregerson. Anyone could have had Francisco Rodriguez. Jays could have had him. And now the Jays are talking about trading for him. <laughs> they could have had him for nothing. Well, I mean, they would have had to obviously sign him. But now they're going to have to give up, you know, prospects to if they want to bring him on or someone of that ilk. And it's like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe Roberto Asuno, who was in the wire troll this week, a great call there. Uh, maybe he's the answer, but, you know, simply keep blowing it late. Yeah, yeah, you got it. As you said, the bullpen has been a culprit. Really, the starting staff has been almost as much of a culprit. I believe they're 24th in the team ERA, 23rd in the starters ERA. Yeah. So even so, you would think with the kind of offensive numbers that they have, and a plus 86 run differential was going into yesterday, I think, you you would think that they would still be able to at least mask that in the regular season. Certainly there'd be concerns about the playoffs, but they have to do something about their pitching staff. And uh, I, I mentioned that in there, but that really 
as you said, the blown saves, they're nine and 15 in one run games. I don't want to give away the whole article, but, but basically that's, we know that it's pitching that's holding them back, but they have been a very fascinating team to watch. Nonetheless, probably the most exciting one in baseball. Yeah, I guess I'm not a Jay fan. So no, I, I know, I know, but, but yeah. even so, you know, with the type of games that they've played, uh, been amazing. Uh, so that's, that's where I'm at. How about you? Anything to plug? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> not really. I mean, just, you know, as I mentioned up front, want people to look at that instigator thing and we have, we have some exciting news soon, but I won't reveal it yet. Uh, but it does okay. involve, well, uh, just a little teaser. Uh, we're coming out with an app, a Rotorob. Okay. So, right. uh, yeah, there'll be some news about that soon. Uh, just on the back end stuff. And, you know, uh, getting all our ducks in the row there. So stay tuned for news on that. I'm gonna, I'll bring I'll bring that up on the next podcast as we get a little, probably have some more details. And uh, that's about a wrap. I want to thank you very much for joining us tonight, Michael. Pleasure as always. Thank you. I'm going to end the show uh, once again with some Sean Mulrain, and we'll see you all next week. Have yourself a good week. Thanks. Night, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.